Evolution, Revolution. A discussion on the changing shape of us. This podcast series has grown out of some articles I've written, which you can find in the show notes. Lifeline Church is undergoing a transition. This is a critical stage for those who have grown up in Lifeline or joined along the journey to bring their unique contribution to the table, because those that have led for the last 40 years won't be leading for the next 40. As we continue the journey, we need to know what we need to carry with us, what can be left behind, and what needs to be developed. I hope this podcast, along with my articles, might provoke and inspire you to offer what you carry. Okay, so back here with myself, Nick, and I've got Jamie with me, and we are here to look at part two of Jamie's article, The Call to Create Space. So what we're going to think about today is what helps create space. Uh, Jamie, you've got a few points that you that you feel help to create space. So we'll discuss them and see where we get to. So I'll hand over to you, number one, on what you believe helps to create space. Yeah, so f- first of all, there needs to be a commitment that creating space is both necessary and possible. I think a lot of the time we can think, well, we can just do it ourselves or we can think of oh, the effort to train someone else or if someone didn't do it the way that we'd want it to do, it's just easier just to get it on, uh, get, keep, keep going ourselves. But that undermines the fact that God has taken each of us and he's building us together like living stones, that each has a contribution and I have an opportunity and a privilege to create space for others to be part of. It's necessary because God's beautiful variety is modelled in how a community comes together and um, each bringing their unique contribution to the table. I don't think we can show God if it's just one person trying to do it all. Um, Then the idea that it's possible, well, it's possible because it's God's power and God's at work and God's can do anything he wants to do and if this is what he said there is a power to make it happen obviously there's going to be disappointments along the way and um, somewhat the question is what you do with your disappointments and when you when you think about um, that that scripture talking about sowing with 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 tears I think there's two types of tears we can sow with there's there's disappointment tears of disappointment which is you have not performed the way that I've wanted you to. And so my my tears of disappointment is an issue then between me and you, causes me to distance or coerce you, manipulate you into doing the behaviours that I want. Whereas the alternative, I think, is tears of longing, which is a desire to fulfil what God's given me to to fulfill and I long for you to come into the fullness of what God's got for you but rather than that being a contention between the two of us that's an issue between me and God saying God you've you've put this on my heart or you've shown me this this idea of of who Nick's going to be in the future but yet it's not happening at the moment what can I do and how do I pray at this point in time and that's a very different way of of responding to uh well sowing with tears so uh, 
the other thing is to come back to the idea that if God has made a plan, he doesn't change those plans just because people fail. He is as committed as ever to draw humans to co-work with him, no matter how broken they are, so we shouldn't be surprised. So question, just around everyone having a contribution, what do you mean by that? Is that, I'm thinking contributions can look more obvious for some people, like for, I don't know, some someone might say, well, I play uh, the guitar in the worship band, that is my contribution. That is quite a, an obvious thing to see. Just Would you be able to expand on what you mean by everyone has a contribution? Yeah, when you love someone, you want to find a way to express that in a way that is meaningful, relevant, and accurate. And I think the idea of everyone has a contribution to make. If you have caught a sight of God, seen him, inspired by what you've seen, and therefore enabled by his power to become more like him, there's going to be a desire to express something of who he is in relationship with people that we're, we're, we're with. Often at that point you think, okay, so what has he given me? What's already in my hand? Some people it might be they can play the guitar. Some people might have a real um, passion for prayer. Others might have just that sightedness that spots the person that's alone in a crowd. So it's, it wouldn't be unusual that your contribution would be an area of your strength or um, an area that you're familiar with. I think it also goes beyond that of, God, what have you given me to give at this point? And sometimes it might be that the extrovert has to shut up for a little bit and that's their contribution or the introvert has to speak up at that moment that we never want to be bound by our personality or, or particular gifting. I remember this story of a guy called Dave Mansell who's part of the, the original house church movement and he's, he talked about the time he was coming down the stairs and he looked up and he saw the, the piano in the corner and he felt God say, sit down and, and play the piano. He said, but God, I don't play the piano. That's my wife's piano. But he felt God tell him, you sit down and you play. And he ended up writing some of the most influential worship songs of that, that period. And then he can never play again. So there's something about making sure that you're not limiting God based on, oh God, you don't really understand what I'm good at and not good at. The basis is, I just want to be part of his purpose and on earth. Whatever that means, if that's sweeping the floor, I, I want to be part, part of it. Okay, so the second point um, about how to create space is seeing that we are working with people and we're not just developing tools. Um, we mustn't see people or leaders as tools that help us achieve a particular project, but they're the first people that we express love to. And there's an expectation that if we express it to the people that we're in contact with, there will be a ripple effect that it would then work down to, to whoever they work with. And within that, it, it's not seeing the struggles that people go through as a barrier or a disruption of the things that I'm about or I'm trying to achieve. It's actually that is what I'm trying to achieve, what God's called me to, that we present each other mature in Christ, that I want to play my part as given by God 
in the honing and the developing of you into who God's called you to be. In the same way, I want you to have that involvement back into me. And that's about God. It, amount of times I've got to say that God enable me to see this person as you see them and not just see them the, how annoying they are at this particular time. And that's a that's a privilege that we have. I remember talking with a, a fellow leader at one stage and we we're talking about a new leadership role. And I suggested a number of people. Could it be this person? Could it be that person? And they said no to each one of those. And probably they, they might have been right. Each time they gave, no, not that person because of this, not that person because of that. But it occurred to me, like, well, wait a second. Has anyone um, shared these concerns with these potential leaders, perspective leaders? Has, has that perspective leader received those concerns, taken ownership of them? And who's offered to explore with them and journey with them to see them come through in those particular areas and we are hoping in that that we might actually be part of that individual's journey and it might take maybe they're seven steps away to get from where they want to but if we don't take the first step they're never ne never going to be able to grow into who they need to be so with that i love that idea growing people not sharpening tools and I will sometimes find myself, maybe I've got a task that I need done. And suddenly maybe I find myself contacting a person who I don't regularly contact. Or maybe I've never contacted them before. And then I'm suddenly kind of struck with this feeling of, I'm about to ask someone to do something. I don't know anything about them. I don't know. Sometimes I can end up thinking in my head, am I just trying to use this person? Um, which I don't think I am, but you know, um, that kind of thought goes through my head. And and I re this idea of growing people, not sharpening tools sounds great. Um, but it makes me think, there is a quite an easy temptation in a church context for people to end up feeling like they are tools. Um, so is that about having genuine relationship with anyone in which you are serving with um or leading i think if the only interaction we have with someone is in regards to a particular role or an area of service it would be very easy to leave that person with the impression that they are their value depends on their performance in a role um now saying that when you're in a church with a lot of people you're not necessarily going to know everything about every single person but the challenge that that I often have is rather than this is a task that needs completing who can I get to do it would also be the question who would this task be good for in terms of how could it help them develop and that focus of oh would this be good for you rather than you could be good for the task that that I need completed and I think if our heart is towards someone and we love them, there's a good chance that that will end up being communicated and received. But, I mean, you, you say about that, you, you found when you've got an increased capacity of love, it does something. Yeah, for sure. I've really felt recently um, 
God just increasing, yeah, my care for people. And I think it's shown itself with people that I'm in quite a close relationship, but also with people that I don't necessarily know so well. Um, but as I'm speaking to them, God's just increasing my heart. And that then is giving me more insight into what's going on and more authority to speak. So I was able to, well, while speaking with a young person, able to kind of really see that actually, no, some decisions that they're making are based out of fear. Um, and then the nick in me was like, no, you can't say that. That sounds so harsh. And But actually there was something of, no, this person needs to know that because that then gives them the opportunity to ask God to, to free them. So I, so I did. And, and yeah, that young person has experienced like freedom from that and is, yeah, making different decisions. So, yeah, and I think at times I would have felt like, who am I to put that upon someone or ask put someone to do this or say that? But it's like, no, it, it comes from a position of care that God's putting in me. Um, cool. So then your third, your third point on uh, what helps create space. Yes, uh, it's about having a confidence that God's up to something in every human life. Our friend from New Jersey, Mark McGrath, once shared a, a message called Don't Touch the Ark. And it was based on the story of Uzzah that tried to steady the, the Ark of the Covenant as David was bringing it into Jerusalem when it, when it looked like it was wobbling. And so Mark McGrath was saying... Every human life is holy just like the ark was holy because it has the presence of God in it. And if the Spirit now, the Spirit of God lives in us, that the the challenge there, what, what Uzzah was being corrected for was he was trying to, he mistakenly thought that he needed to keep God on track and uh, there was a lack of care or recognition of what was holy. And in the same way, we can wade into other people's lives and treat them as if God's not already at work in those lives. Okay, and then after that, so I'm going to read um, an excerpt of an interview that took place between Stephen Bartlett and he was interviewing the clinical psychologist Jordan Peterson. So Stephen Bartlett asked, how do I encourage a friend without overpowering or stifling them or making them feel inad inadequate? Um, so like, am I trying to change someone I love? And Jordan Peterson responded by saying, disabuse yourself of the notion that you know what is best for this person. Not only do you not know, but you don't want that responsibility for two reasons. Number one, Say they do what you say and something good happens to them. Whose victory is that? Yours or theirs? And if it's yours, did you just steal it? And the second point, say they fail following your advice. They then pay the price for that and you can skip away merrily and say, well, I should have spoken more carefully. You don't mess around with people's destiny. You do not know where they are heading. Having said that, you do what you are doing in this interview. You ask people questions, real questions like, how are you feeling? They may say, I'm not doing so good today. What's going on? You can't ask questions which will lead this person in a particular direction because that's the same game. Sometimes people have little prepared speeches that is packaged like a question, but they really attempt to corner you into admitting what they want. Your questions, like your statements, should be honest. If you ask questions and really listen, people will often untangle themselves. 
Jordan Peterson finishes this bit by saying, when meeting someone, I will ask them their name to help them settle and mark them out. And if I listen, they will tell me something within the next 10 seconds that I need to know because they have something to say. And you become wise by collecting this. So I'd included that quote in there because I think it's just it's just really good advice. But starting from that humility of, I don't know what God's up to in you. I don't know what your life's about. I don't know your destiny. And it talks about in Micah 6 that we're invited to walk humbly with our God. And that's in our relationships with, with each other. Because I, I can't know what's going on. But I want to know and I want to be part of that. When you look at Ezekiel 37 verse 3, Ezekiel's asked, Son of man, can these bones live? And his wise response was, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. So when I'm meeting someone that's struggling with something, or like, I, I don't know what, could, what can happen. I often say my favorite verse, Genesis 28, 16, Jacob wakes up from, his, from this amazing dream that has brought revelation to him. And he says, surely the Lord was in this place and I was not aware of it. And that's for every every human I'm talking to. God is up to something in their lives. And in Proverbs 3, 5, the, the instruction is, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not onto your own understanding. And so I'm recognizing, I don't really know what, what he's up to. And I want to approach with a humility that I don't, I don't know where, where God's taking you. I really love this, this quote by C.S. Lewis in Weight of Glory. He says, It's a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses, to remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person that you can talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship, or else a horror or a corruption such as you meet, if at all only in a nightmare. All day long, we, in some degree, helping one another to each of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities. It is with the awe and circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is the immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. Just that thought, I'm talking to people that could one day reflect the glory of God to such a degree that if I was to see him today, I would drop on my knees or be tempted to drop on my knees and worship. I'm not dealing with just Nick. I'm talking to a mortal glory bearer. And I think, I don't know how God's going to get you there. I don't know what journey it's going to be. But I have an opportunity to aid and abet you on that journey to becoming who God's called you. And that I would dare treat you as someone that is just helping me achieve particular goals that I want to get and miss out on investing into the everlasting, 
would be would be such a shame. But what if we do see something uh, in a friend, in someone that we're we're connected with, that we want them to help see? Is there is there never a role for for a leading question or for just because that awe and wonder I get I, and and I love, but it also makes me think. But what if what if I have an insight that I feel like I need to share? Is it something different that you're speaking of? No, I think we, that's that's part of it. We absolutely have the privilege and the responsibility to help each other mature in Christ and present each other mature in Christ. I was talking to someone, a friend the other day, and they're saying, well, I, I kind of think that God will support me whichever decision I make. And I said, well, how does that reconcile with this scripture here, which seems to not uh, not fit with what you're saying? But even in that moment, it's like, I. it's not enough that I just say this to you. I'm, I'm pointing out the word of God. Um, you've got to settle in your heart before God how you follow that. I can't prescribe because there's no power in me. There's power in the word of God. And so I'm encouraging, imploring, challenging my friend to live in alignment with what God wants because that, that's the helping, helping the journey. So then your fourth point about what helps create space, you talk about invitation and coaching. Could you expand on that? Yes. So in um, coaching and invitation, there's a role for us as leaders to make the opportunity to contribute quite explicit. Um, I think when you put out a general invite, you get a general response. And so sometimes uh, being clear on what you're seeking to achieve gives someone a clearer sense of, oh, there's different ways to go about it. But also when you talk to an individual, so look, this, I think you could bring something to, to this. And this is what I've seen in you. That is much, much more specific. Um, helps someone think, oh, actually, I do qualify because I know for myself, my default is to exclude myself to think that I, I couldn't add to things. Um, and then sometimes a blank canvas can be quite intimidating. If you say, oh, you can do whatever you want. Some certain personalities find that crippling and don't know where to start. And so it's knowing the person and helping them. Yeah, I've just got a little fun example that I've seen recently. So we're, uh, as of recording, it's February 2023, we're, we've got a Sierra Leone team. So a team of young people who will be going to Sierra Leone in just over a month. And are there a great, great bunch of you know, age between 16 and 19 and there's loads of energy. And But I've seen we needed to raise quite a bit of money and there was a lot of energy and excitement. But one thing God kind of been showing me that is I needed to help give them some parameters. Uh, so we just did this quiz night, which they were truly amazing at organizing. But it still took me as a leader to say, right, you, you're going to host it. You're going to plan this round. You're going to help people to their uh, seats and, and whatever it was. And it just kind of made me see just in a practical way. We had all agreed, right, we need to raise money. Um 
but as a leader I needed to be like okay and this is how we're going to do it um and they all they all really really just rose to it and it kind of really showed me something I was chatting to one of the young people today who um is a really really lovely lovely kid um but he had the quite challenging job of getting people to their tables and there was a lot more people than planned um so it was a lot of uh potentially sorry you've got to move here no you're in the wrong place that kind of stuff and he was like yeah it was it was quite it was quite stressful um but something rose up in him and i think that he might not have thought that he'd be able to navigate people and and the situation. It was like a big game of Tetris for him, really. I mean, it wasn't an easy job, but um, yeah, I was just seeing that small kind of practical way of just like, I had a role, me and Ella had a role as leaders to be like, right guys, this is what we've agreed to do. This is what we want to do. This is how it's going to be done. And that's, that's the role of leadership. Um, there wasn't a question that they weren't willing. They just didn't know what to do. And not everyone gets that step of direction and when a leader does set out that people are, are released to follow that if you think of the story of David David was one that stepped up to Goliath but as soon as Goliath went down it unleashed the rest of the army to charge forward as well and so <clears throat> that's often the way that God works um, just in regard to to coaching there is an aspect of helping people once they've tried something to explore how they got on what they would do differently and you get the sense that jesus was doing that with the disciples all the time and say okay watch me do it with me now you go and do it and see how you get on and when we're coaching there's, there's a good opportunity to to be asking questions of what they saw and there's one of the things i talk about is is the value of curiosity and um walt whitman once said um be curious not judgmental and there's a, a value in asking a question of oh so why were you thinking that or when you acted like this what was going through your mind because you realize how often we make assumptions oh well they did this because of because of that reason and you can even be saying if i was to behave like that it would probably be because of this was my underlying attitude and motive but by saying it out loud, you give someone the opportunity to say, yeah, that, that's right, that's what was going on for me. Or, no, no, I was feeling this or thinking that. And then you're all the richer um, for knowing that. And also, sometimes when you're coaching, the, there's an opportunity to make sure every stone is unturned. And um, when we've been talking about creating space, we've spent a lot of time saying, what has God given you to do? Um, and really wanting to encourage people to pursue the thing that God's given them to do. But what we don't want to be in a situation is when someone just says, oh, this is what God's given me to do, and you say, okay, bless your brother, and let him go, a kind of a laissez-faire, oh, that's good for you, which is very much within our culture. And so when we're almost unaware how much that influences us. But I think what we're called to do as leaders and as friends is to be much more impacted by each other's um, journey. So if you, Nick, were to say, I feel that God's putting it on my heart to reach out to local uh, homeless people, I could just say, oh, that's great. Bless you on your journey. But that's that's some, somewhat abdicating my role in your life. 
I'd be asking, okay, so what has he said to you? What are you going to do about it? Is there a team that's around you? What's your uh, next step? What do you think God wants to develop in your character? How can I be part of this and journey with you so that you can become the person who God needs you to be in order to fulfill the things that he's got? Mm. I think sometimes we, we leave too much of a wide berth around each other on things like that. And then the, the final point, the fifth point is ultimately trusting that we're in safe hands, we're in God's hands. Um, when I was teaching my son how to pedal a bike, that first feeling of letting go, knowing that he could crash, um, is similar to keeping your hands off the ark, re- realizing, you know what, there's a risk in this that I can't protect you from all of the potential dangers in life. But trusting, you know what, but God can and he can turn uh, things that seem to have gone bad into into good. And so I want to take a position of realizing, yeah, God, this is your, your you are building your church. I get to be part of that, but I'm, we're all safe. I'm safe. The emerging leader is safe. And uh, we're expecting that that God will build people out of these experiences and you can't protect someone from this, the experience that will build the very character they need to become who God's called them to be. Amazing. All right. And that brings us to the end of your article on the call to create space. So we're going to leave it there and we'll be back soon with the next installment. Thanks, Jamie.
Thanks for listening to this eight-episode podcast exploring how to make a healthy transition to the next generation as a church whose heart is set on pilgrimage. We invite you to listen to the full series, but also to get in touch if you have questions so that iron can sharpen iron as we bring our collective wisdom together. Our contact details can be found in the show notes. For further teaching, do tap into the Lifeline Church Sunday Teaching Podcast and watch out for our conversational podcast on questions arising from the Book of Kings due to be released in July 2023.